You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. You know, there's really nothing that is as scandalous as grace. Um, when we think about what Jesus did for us, when we think about the fact that God sent His perfect Son to us, to this world, put on flesh, live a perfect life, live a clean life, so that we could have our uncleanness, our unrighteousness, our sin put upon Himself and punished so that we wouldn't have to be. It's a scandal. It's unfair. It's not right. And sometimes our minds even have a hard time wrapping around it. But that's why we're here today. It's because of the grace of Jesus that was placed in our lives. This great gift of salvation that's been given to us by Christ. And that's why we celebrate. That's why when someone accepts the invitation of Jesus and they go from death to life, that we celebrate because that's what God does through His Son. And He's done that for us. And I was reading this week in my own devotional time and I came across the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. And in it, Paul says, it's because of the grace of God that I am what I am. And I thought, if we could grab hold of that, if we could always remember that, that nothing I do can, can bring me to God, nothing that, that I do can prop me up so well that I won't fall, the only thing that I can truly trust in is the love and the grace and the power of Jesus in my life. And I am what I am because of His grace. What an awesome testimony of our lives. See, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you walked in. I don't know if you just got through beating four kids in the backseat of your car on the way here. I don't know if you just had a fight with your husband. I don't know if this week, if you lost your job, I don't know if this week you found a job. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're at, but this is what I know God does. And His grace is available right now to us. And His grace is transformational. We approach it so many times as information. It's transformational. It changes our heart. It changes our life. He does something in us that no one else can do. It only makes sense that the one who created our soul is the only one who can satisfy it. Today we're going to celebrate him, man. We're about about to get into the word of God and and it's going to be challenging. But my prayer is that it stirs our heart that we could see us the way God sees us, that we would unite as one body under the head of Christ, and that we would go into this world and into this community, and we would transform it as the power of the Holy Spirit that gave us grace begins to work in the hearts of other people. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that God would speak to our hearts this morning as we get into the Word, and then uh, we're going to jump in, man. And I believe God has got some incredible things. He's already done amazing stuff this morning. Praise already stirring your heart. Let's pray, Lord. We do ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would stir our hearts. Challenge us today, Lord. Convict us and then encourage us to take steps of faith to follow you. God, there is no one like you. And we lay our lives down for you, God. And oh God, if you would just make us like you. Do a work in our hearts this morning. Change us at the very core of who we are, God. We thank you for your work, the scandalous grace that came into our lives. We love you and praise your name and thank you for how you love us and how you showed us that through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Man, oh man, I am excited about God's word today. 
Um, I, if, you're, if you're here for the first time, man, we're glad you're here. We're going to continue. I want to jump in. I don't have a whole lot of time today. I want to jump straight into the message. And we're going to actually wrap up this series called um, Verses. Um, we're going to finish it up today. It's been a series where we've been looking at cultural Christianity, uh, what we see around us versus authentic Christianity, what it means to really have an authentic relationship with Jesus. So many times in our culture, we just become what I would call a cultural Christian where we just go through the motions, but we're void of a relationship with Jesus. And and we're going to see some things today that happen um, in the church because we don't really realize what Jesus has done for us on one hand and because we're not sometimes fully living out of a relationship with Jesus, realizing that not only has he reconciled us to God, but he's also reconciled us to each other. And so we're going to be looking at this in Ephesians chapter two. We're actually going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, last week we stopped at verse 10. This week we're going to go from 11 to about verse 18. And, um, I'm excited about this. Last week, remember, we looked at two words. Anybody remember what those two words were? We talked about two words that changed everything for us. Remember? But God, right? But God, we were this, but God stepped in and said this. We were uh, rebellious sons of disobedience. You remember that encouraging part last week? And but God made us righteous. He made us children of God. He brought us into his kingdom. Today, we're going to talk about two other words. Anybody see them on a sign when you came in? Did you see what those two words are? But now, right? And and it's going to be a little bit different. But God, we talked a lot about what God did for us individually and who we were on the other side of that but God phrase. Today, I want us to look at, again, what he did for us individually, but also something a little bigger, that he brought us into a bigger scope. He brought us into um, a body of believers. And you know that word but, we talked about how powerful it is. And when you tag now onto the end of it, it even becomes more powerful, right? Uh, and, And you can think about this in your own life. For instance, I was thinking about how to, to help you see the drastic change that can take place when you insert but now um, into a sentence. One of them I thought about was when I was, uh, before I had children, Susan and I were married, before we had children, one of our favorite things to do on Sunday afternoon was to go home and take a nap, right? Some of y'all thought I was going to say something, to go home and take a nap. And, and we used to love to do that. Every, every Sunday afternoon, we'd take a nap. And it was so awesome, right? And, and then we had three kids. And so the sentence would go something like this. We used to love to take a nap on Sunday afternoon, but now that doesn't happen, right? Because we got three kids running around. All right, uh, another one. Um, when I was in high school, uh, my father-in-law, well, he wasn't my father-in-law in high school, but he's my father-in-law now. Um, he owned a restaurant called Snookies, Snookies Restaurant. And before, yeah, everybody misses Snookies. I do too. My bank account misses Snookies. Um, and so before he closed down Snookies Restaurant, I could go down there when I was in high school and I would get two cheeseburgers, French fries, and I'd drink about a gallon of sweet tea. Woo, it was good, right? Never gained weight. Never gained an ounce, right? I just ate and ate and ate, never gained weight. But now... I can look at a cheeseburger and gain weight. And I'm not going to look around, but I think some of you older men, you, you've realized the same truth, right? And, uh, and, and so, but now it changes a lot of things. It changes from this to that, and, and it makes a huge difference. And we're going to see that today. I want to jump in here and, and, and lead up to that with the, the text from Ephesians 2.11. And, and the very first sentence there, the very first verse, he begins it like this. He says, therefore, remember... 
Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So the first two words are so huge. Paul says, therefore, remember, remember what you were, right? And there's one thing in my life that, that I've held on to since the day that I finally accepted the invitation of Jesus and I was saved and, and I came into a relationship with God. There's one thing that I've always said, I never want to live in my past. I never want to live in past sins and condemnation, but I also never want to forget where Jesus has brought me from. I never want to forget what God's done in my life. In fact, when I think about what God's done, it gives me the fuel to, to continue to move forward. To continue to pursue him. How can I not worship a God who gave me life? And so we need to all come to these two verses and go, and, or to these two words and go, therefore, I need to remember. Therefore, remember. He's telling these Gentile people, he says that you who are the uncircumcision. It, it's just Paul's way of saying you weren't part of the Jewish people. You weren't part of the people of God. They showed their, 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 um, that they belonged to the, the Jewish people, that part of it was circumcision. They'd be circumcised and then um, they would, people would know that they were Jewish, that they belonged in the covenant, right? The promises of God. And he's saying, you though, who were the uncircumcised, you, you who didn't belong um, to God, that weren't a part of the people of God, listen, here's the reality. Remember what Jesus did. And I would encourage you today, I would encourage when you walk through the doors to worship, I would encourage when you open your Bibles in the morning or in the evening or whenever you read your Bible, I would encourage you when you pray, I encourage you when you turn on music in your car and you listen to worship music, I encourage you every moment of every day, walking the dog, playing ball, whatever it is, that you would remember what Jesus did in your life. If you're in Christ, remember what he did. It goes on and he says, um, at, at one time you Gentiles, in other words, you were separated. You weren't the people of God called the uncircumcision. You weren't in the, 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 the family of God, but what is called the circumcision, the Jewish people, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's saying, listen, this circumcision was done in the flesh by hands. God did something in your heart. And see, sometimes we come to church, we come to cultural Christianity, this, this mindset of religion, and, and we think that if we can do all of these external things, it's going to change the inside. But that's not how it works. And this is what Paul saying. He's saying, listen, what they did by their hands, it doesn't compare to what God did by his spirit in your heart. And he's telling them, listen, this is the deal. You need to remember that God changed you. He gave you life. He took you from death to life in Christ. Then he says that word again, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants, covenant of the covenants of promise. So he's saying at that time when, when you were just walking around, you were separated from God. You didn't know Christ. He had not yet enlightened your heart that you could see who he is and see your need for him. And he's saying, not only were you separated from him, not only were you separated from God, but you were separated from his people, the commonwealth of Israel, the people of Israel. You weren't a part of the people of God. And he's saying, but now that you've been united with Christ and you've, been uni and you've also been united with his people and he's brought you all together through Christ. And he says, you didn't even have access to the promises. Those promises, they weren't for you. They were all for Israel. But now God's opened up a way. He's opened up a door. He's given opportunity. He's given an invitation that you who are far from God can come near through Christ. It's good news for each one of us because I guarantee you the majority of the room is not Jewish, right? Like these scriptures are huge for almost every person in this room. 
That God's opened up a way for us to come to him, to be in a relationship with him, to be reconciled not only to him, but also to the other people around us who are in Christ. And he says, at this point in time, you had no hope, you ha- having no hope and without God in the world. And see, here's the thing we can do. We can put hope in a lot of things. We can put hope in our bank account. We can put hope in somebody else. We can put hope in our boyfriend, hope in our girlfriend. We can put hope in the stock market. We can put hope in a lot of places. The problem with that is it's always going to let us down. There's only one place that we can find true hope, and that's in the promises of God. They're always yes and amen in Jesus. They have already been fulfilled, that God is going to fulfill no matter what. We can rest in that. He becomes our rock that we stand upon. And so by coming into a relationship with God through Christ, we stand upon a rock that's immovable. His promises are true. His promises are yes. His, his promises never fail because his love never fails. What an awesome thing for God to show us and to tell us that at one time you need to remember that we were like these people without hope because we were alienated from Christ. And listen, here comes the words, but now, right? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far, far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So that you who were far off, you were brought near. We all need to realize that no matter what our background is, at one point in our life, if we're now in Christ, we were far from God. And we can say, well, my, I wasn't that bad. You were still going to bust the gates of hell wide open, right? I know I would have busted the gates of hell wide open. But now, through Christ, we've been brought near. By his blood, we've been forgiven. I'll explain that more in a minute. But as we look at the words, but now, and we think about Paul saying, remember twice. This is what I would ask you. Can you remember um, times in your life where you know that God was working in you? Is there times where you know that I met Jesus and, and, and I was this, but now I'm something else? Because if not, we need to do something about that. We need to talk about a relationship between you and God. Because it is a spiritual impossibility to meet Christ and never change. It's a spiritual impossibility to meet Jesus and your heart not begin to be shaped and molded differently. And so do you have that but now? This is what I was. And see, listen, here's the thing. I know me. I love that verse that I mentioned um, uh, at the end of of Scandal of Grace. that, That verse that says, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. I know me. And it's funny how easily we'll lift people up on a pedestal. But just so you don't think more highly of me than you ought, if you had seen me before Christ, it was unimpressive. If you think I'm unimpressive now, you should have seen me then. Right? You wouldn't be so easily impressed if you saw me passed out in Beaumont, Texas in a strip club, right? That's not really impressive. So don't put me on a pedestal. Realize that anything good in me and anything good in you is only because of Christ and because of his grace. And he takes people who are gross and who are messed up and who have a past and he cleans them up and he sets them on a foundation and he says, I'm going to make you a trophy of my grace and I'm going to use you to reach other people. What an awesome God, right? And here's the, here's the next thing. Understand that, that if you have that but now, if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus and Jesus is working in your life and there's a relationship, I'm not talking about church attendance and all this. I'm talking about you have a relationship with Jesus and he's working in your life. Then the rest of the scriptures we read today are true for us and should be true evidence as evidence in our lives. He says this, that you were brought near by the blood of Christ. So he says, listen, when you were separated, God sent his son, the one who was righteous, that was perfect. He sent him for those who were unrighteous so that we might become the righteousness of God. And the way he did that was 
through the cross, the shedding of his blood. So what you have to understand is that when Jesus was beaten before he was taken to the cross, when the crown of thorns was pressed upon his head and the thorns dug into his, his brow and he began to bleed, when Jesus was, his hands and his feet were nailed to the wood and, he, and he, when he struggled to carry the cross up the hill of Golgotha and he was struggling and he was, doing, he was doing it for you, right? And it was my sin and it was your sin that caused every lashing across his back, that caused every briar, every thorn to stick into his forehead and that caused the nails to go through his hands. It was our sin and he shed his blood as the final sacrifice for sin. He took God's wrath upon his body as our punishment for sin, as our sin was placed on him so that we could be forgiven. That's why we can draw near. In and of ourselves, we can never draw near. But because of God's goodness and the sacrifice of Jesus, Now we have free access as sons and daughters of the king to go into the throne room, into the presence and be reconciled with him forever. It's great news. That's why they call it the gospel. Good news. And he says this, he says that in himself, for he himself in verse 14 is our peace who has made us both one, made us both one. Remember that both one. And it's broken down in his flesh, his body that was beaten, that was bruised, that was put on a cross. And broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So now Paul starts talking about something that's a little bit different. He says, not only were you brought near, but there's also others who've been brought near. And he says, his goal is to make one person out of the two. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the uncircumcised and the circumcised. And he says that through Jesus, you both come to faith in God. You both come to a relationship with God. And in that, Jesus has made you both one people, one body. But see, here's the crazy thing about this. Paul himself was Jewish. All the people he grew up with were Jewish. And he's telling this to Gentiles. The thing about it is that Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Jews wouldn't even go into a Gentile land and bring the dirt back on their shoes. They made sure they knocked the dirt off of their shoes before they came back into their land because they felt it was contaminated. That's how bad they hated the Gentiles. They wouldn't buy food from them. If they touched anything, they didn't want anything to do with it because they felt they were so unclean. And in turn, the Gentiles despised the Jews. Why wouldn't they? They feel looked down upon all the time, so they despise the Jews. But the Bible begins to tell us that Jesus has made those two one. Verse 15, he says, he did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So we see that through his cross, Jesus not only made peace with us and God, but he also made peace between us and each other to create a new humanity. A community of people that wouldn't be divided, but we would be united so that they could bring glory to God. What an awesome vision. That's not just individualistic for you or for me, but it includes all of us. That we would come together as one body bringing glory to Jesus. Back up in verse 14, it says that in his flesh, he had broken down. He had destroyed this dividing wall of hostility. Down in verse 16, it says, thereby he killed the hostility. What's awesome is that the one who was slain slayed the hostility and the separation between God's people. 
And we need to understand that there was a real picture of this for the Jewish people and for the Gentiles. See, at the temple where the Jews would go to worship, there was the inner court where the Jews could go, but there was also the outer court. Gentiles could only go into the outer court. And when you got to the entrance of the outer court, Going into uh, the inner court, there were about 15 steps or so that were going up into the inner court. And so on both sides of a door going into the inner court, there would be a sign. And that sign would say, if a Gentile, basically if you are a Gentile and you enter the temple in the inner courts, you will be killed. And so get a picture of this, right? Where, where, where the Jewish people are up here and the Gentiles are down here. They literally were looking down on the Gentiles. You think there might have been some tension between those two groups. And yet Paul is speaking something revolutionary and saying that you in Christ have been made one person. My next question is this. If the one who was slain, slayed the hostility and the walls that separated us from other people, then why in the church today do we still have these walls of hostility among us? Why, church, do we try to re-erect the things that Jesus tore down? And you can say, well, we don't have those things anymore. You know, those things are, are gone. There's no walls of hostility. I would beg to differ. If you believe that, you haven't been around long enough. Because in every church, walls of hostility still exist. Let me ask you about this wall. How about a wall of unforgiveness between you and somebody else in this room right now? What about harbored bitterness towards somebody? See, here's the thing, in a a town this small, in a church this large, we typically have somebody that sits in maybe, I don't know, that section, and then somebody that sits in this section, that if they met in that section, they would fight. Right? And there's bitterness. And this is the thing I would say, in light of the forgiveness that Jesus has given you, how can we harbor bitterness against someone else? I'm not telling you that forgiveness is forgetting, but what I am telling you is that forgiveness is a choice to look at the grace you've received and offer it to someone else. And the reality of it is, guys, this, that the one who has the power to forgive is always the one who owns the debt. Jesus had a debt against us, a sin debt, and yet he made a choice to offer his life so that we could be forgiven. There should be no wall of hostility. Listen, I know that's hard. I know, I know that's hard. I've talked to enough of you. I know that it's hard. But take a next step and ask God to help you. Begin to move in that direction towards forgiveness and allow God through the power of his Holy Spirit to empower you. Go to somebody that you know that can help you walk through that, but don't just let it sit there. How about this one? Another one, envy and jealousy and coveting, right? You're like, well, I'm not jealous of anybody. Let somebody in the church get something nice. Well, I don't know why they bought that truck. They could have given it to one in one, right? I don't know why they got, why they got to have a house that big. They were fine. They had a two bedroom house and eight kids. I don't know why they couldn't make it. You know what I'm saying? We just, it's just jealousy. And, and we'll say, well, you know, if I had that, I'd just give it to the church. No, you wouldn't. You might not have bought a, a truck, but you'd have bought a boat, right? I had a buddy of mine one time. He came to me. He's like, man, I'm really wrestling with something. I'm like, what? He's like, man, I've always wanted a Jeep. I found a Jeep for about $5,000 and man, I'd like to buy this Jeep. He's like, I kind of feel guilty about it. I said, man, at this point in, in, in this, this year, he'd already given about $50,000 to the church. And he probably given about another 50 to other people. And I was like, dude, you're one of the most generous people I know. Go buy the Jeep, right? Just buy the Jeep and let me ride in it. 
I might need to borrow it. It's like, God, it's not that you don't want, but we can be happy. We should celebrate when others celebrate and we should mourn when others mourn. We should be there for other people. But jealousy and and this envy and coveting, it, it just eats at us. And most of it comes from insecurity, but you'll never find your identity in what you have. You'll only find your identity in the one who has you. And if it's Jesus, you'll find all the value and all the security that you need. If you'll focus your eyes on him. Another one is judging others. Well, don't nobody judge anybody in the church. What? Oh my gosh. It's just like, it's still today. It's like the Jews who look down on the Gentiles. We judge people, especially for their past and for their sins, right? And we look at them and we're like, well, I just don't think they need to be in the church, preacher. Where would you rather them be? And if they've come to Christ, they're just as forgiven as you are. Before we talk about their sin, let's talk about yours. Right? Let's get that big plank out of your eye so you can see then how to help correct them in love and get them on the right track. And so we do that. We always do it. You know, it's like, like I had people tell me before that come to our church. They're like, well, the first time I came in, I wore long sleeves because I was afraid people would see my tattoos and they judge me. I'm like, dude, we think those are like trophies. Like, you know, and, and people are like, well, you know, preacher, they say you don't have tattoos in the Bible. I'm like, then you don't understand what they're saying in the Bible. You don't understand the context of what, where that was written. And so we have to come to this realization. There's still judgment in the church. Should we correct one another? Should we hold each other? Yes, we should, but it should be done in love, not in judgment. Not from a place of hate and, and just, just really just wanting to look down on people. So we have to come to this place. See, I would, I would have a tattoo, but I prefer to be married. That's basically how it works at my house. It was tattoo, married, tattoo, wife. I was like, I need the wife. So I chose the wife. But there's still so much judgment that exists in the church. Another one that we see a lot of times in church is gender. It's gender. But you know what? When in Jesus's day, women were considered a piece of property. But you know what's awesome about Jesus? He came and he gave them value. And he pointed us to us and said, these Women have value and women were a part of his ministry and God used them to impact the kingdom. And we should see them that way. We should see Matt talked about how we see so many times we see women as a piece of meat. We should see them as God's daughter. We should see them as God's child. We should, we should want to honor them and respect them and realize that God desires to use them as much or more than he desires to use us. In fact, if men would step up in the church, women wouldn't have to do everything. I got some women on my side this morning. But it's true. The first, the greatest women's liberation movement was started by Jesus. He gave you value. That wall was torn down. In Galatians, it says that we're all the same. There's neither Greek nor Jew nor nor slave or free nor male or female. We're one body. This last one, man, I know it's going to ruffle some feathers, but that's good. And I pray it stirs your heart. I pray it does. And this last one, this wall of hostility that still exists to this day is race. And it drives me crazy. Our church isn't diverse enough. And still today, we see this race issue existing. And you know what drives me nuts is when I look at the world and I look at the people we're supposed to be an example to, and I look at it and we're the the church is the most segregated organization in the world. And we're supposed to be the ones who are setting the example. And yet it exists and it's here. And, and, and 
And the reality of it is, listen, tonight, tonight at the Super Bowl, I know none of you are going to watch the Super Bowl. I eat during the game and then watch the commercials. But there are going to be a lot of people that when Marshawn Lynch touches the football, they're going to go crazy. And they're going to cheer. And they're going to shout. Just like when Todd Gurley touches the football on Saturday afternoon in Athens. And they're going to jump up and down and they're going to yell and they're scream, go, go, go. And this is the thing I wonder is the black athlete that you worship on Saturday, would you want him sitting next to you on Sunday? Because that's a problem. Not only is it a problem, it's sin. God shows no favoritism. How do we? See, here's the thing. I grew up in the South. I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to be very transparent right now. I didn't even say this at nine. I'll be very honest. I grew up in the South. And sometimes those things, you're just around those attitudes. And I had some of those attitudes. But this is the thing I can tell you. When Jesus came into my heart and he came into my life and he transformed my heart, I can no longer judge somebody by the color of their skin. Guys, listen, listen, you can't say you don't worship those guys on Saturday. <laughs> and, and girls, I know there's some girls, you like got the jerseys, you got all that stuff, right? <laughs> it's kind of weird when a grown man wears another grown man's name on his back. I'm just saying. <laughs> but the reality of it is we can't say we don't worship them because when's the last time you shouted, jumped and hollered for Jesus? Right? The reality of it is, guys, we need to check our heart. We need to see. We need to see clearly. Our eyes need to be enlightened. We can see that through faith, I love this last verse, that through faith in Christ, the Bible says this in verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. You know what that means? We all got the same daddy. Every one of us. That through faith in Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, we have access to him the same way. And now we've been brought into one glorious body of Christ that is to be an example to the world of the love of God and the power of God and the unity of God. And I'm not talking about just tolerating everything that goes. No, I'm talking about people who are pursuing Jesus together, becoming a light that shines into the world and salt in the earth that begins to change the flavor of everything around us. That's what God's called us to. That's what God wants us to be. And he tells us that he did this through the Jesus. He did this through his flesh. That he abolished the law of the commandments. See, when he says the law of the commandments, you can think about two different things. There was a ceremonial law and a moral law. The ceremonial law was things like sacrifices and hand washing and doing all this stuff to try to make themselves okay for God, right? And so they did all this stuff trying to make themselves okay. And what Paul's telling us here is he writes to these Ephesians. He's saying, listen, he did that. He took care of that. He he made the word. He was the one who made you clean, not what you did but faith in him and now he works from the inside to change you on the outside and he goes on and he's in there as he talks about the law of commandments he's talking about the moral law now that we don't live morally god works in us so that we become more moral right but he's saying there's no condemnation when we slip up when we mess up we're not made righteous through our morals any longer we're made righteous through jesus and faith in him That's the only way we come to righteousness. And basically Jesus, when he killed the wall of hostility, one of the things he killed was condemnation. And he made peace between us and God and he made peace between us and each other. So we can become one body living together as one. 
I thought about that moral law and I was like, how can I help them see this a little bit better? How can I help them understand this a little bit better? And, and the thing that, that I thought about is, is my own children. I use my children a lot. I learn a lot from my kids. And, you know, before I had kids, I could wear nice shirts and stuff. And in the morning, it wouldn't matter. Like I wear a white shirt. I don't really ever wear a white shirt anymore. You know why? Because when I get to, to work, it's like polka dotted. Especially when they're little and you pick them up and they just wipe snot and food and everything else all over your shoulder, right? And I put on this nice shirt and they still do it today, like seven, eight years old. And they still come up and they just like pizza right on my shoulder, right on my shirt. I look down, I'm like, gosh, right? And you know what? I look at them and their face, their face is like completely clean, right? They come up, they got pizza and ketchup and all kinds of stuff, cake. And and I look at them and their face is completely clean. Like, well, that's great for you. Then I look at my shirt and it looks like hash browns from the Waffle House. You know what I'm saying? Like scattered, splattered, battered, whatever. And it's just all over my shirt. And I thought about this in terms of the gospel. It's such a perfect picture of the gospel because what happened is that they wipe their face on me. My shirt becomes gross, but they become clean. And what we need to see is that when Jesus came to earth, he took our sin on himself. He became gross so that we could become clean. And not only did he take that, 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 the, the sociable sins, right? The socially acceptable sins. Those things that we look at and go, well, it ain't bad. He took all the sins. He took every one of them upon himself. He became gross so that we could become clean. What an awesome thing. And then he tells us, live as one body, live as one people, bound together by the Holy Spirit, having access to the same father, the same daddy. Realizing that we're all in this together. Our testimony is the same, regardless of how much money we have, regardless of how, 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 what the color of our skin is, regardless of our past. We all had the same testimony. Dead in sin, alive in Christ, if we've had the but now moment. It's the same testimony. Dead in Christ, or dead in sin, alive in Christ. Have you had the but now moment? Do you realize that you're part of a bigger picture, part of a body of people? That's why we serve. That's why we want you to sign up as a connector. We want to paint a huge picture of hope and love and the power of grace in a community and in the world. Have you had the but now moment? Have you had the but God moment where God changed everything, where God came into your heart? And see, today what we're about to right now, we're about to celebrate one of the most amazing things that we do in the church, and that's communion. And if there's nothing more tangible than us coming together, sharing bread, sharing uh, the body of Christ, the bread, and sharing the juice, the blood, that, that, that sacrifice of his blood that bought our forgiveness, that bought us and, and made us children of God. There's nothing greater than selling that bread and that with this body. See, here's the thing I want you to know. I love my church. I really do. Like, I love it. And then you can say, well, that ain't your church, Pastor. I know whose church it is, Okay. Like, I don't say my church like I own it. I'm saying my church like the church I belong to. See, I belong to it just as much as you do, and you belong to it just as much as I do. I love the church that I'm a part of. I love being in this body of people. I love being able to share the word with you. I love being a part of this body. And I want us to see the beauty of that. I want us to see the power of that. When people who are united by the Holy Spirit, and they're united in the body of Christ, and we go as one man into a world that is full of darkness, and we shine this beautiful light. And we're going to celebrate the fact that that's who we are when we take communion. The Bible says, though, that we should examine ourselves before we take it, before we share in it. We should examine our heart. Paul, writing in the Corinthians, said, examine your hearts. 
Examine yourselves. Look at yourselves. And the first thing we need to look at is, have I had the but now moment? Have I had the but God moment? Do I know Christ? Because what you're celebrating through communion is that I'm a part of the body. That's why believers take communion. Celebrate the fact that we're a part of Christ. So I'm asking you, have you had that? If not, let's deal with that today because Christ is inviting you to a relationship with him. He's inviting you into the family. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? And right now, this is what I'm going to ask. If you don't have a relationship with him, you've never come into a relationship with Christ. I'm not talking about doing the church thing. I'm, not talking, I'm talking about, do you know him? And today God's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, I want to know him. Or he's drawing you to himself and you want to say yes to his invitation. This is what I'm going to ask you to do right now, right where you're at. I'm going to ask you to stick your hand up in the air real high where I can see it. Today you say, I need a relationship with Jesus. I want to know him. You just put your hand up where we can see it. I guarantee you, you're not the only one that's thinking this right now. You put your hand up and we'll celebrate it today together. You want to know him. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to pray. And while I pray, this is what I want you to do. I want you to examine your heart. Are there walls of hostility that have been built in your heart? Is there things you need to offer somebody forgiveness? I'm going to start to pray and then I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to let you talk to God. Ask God, talk to him. Live in this relationship with him. And let him examine your heart. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for your love and your grace for us, Lord. God, speak to our hearts now. Examine us, search us, Lord, and know us. Let us know you more deeply.